0: Hi, this is Kane Roberts, and you're listening to Focus on Metal, and I think that's good advice. It's time to focus on metal.
1: Hey metalheads, Scott here, and welcoming you to your weekly dose of focus on metal. And two weeks in a row, Richie is back in the studio. I think he was uh, excited about the possibility of uh, finally rolling that Kane Roberts interview that he did. Uh, it's got to be three or four weeks ago now. Mm, you heard the record? I have heard parts of it.
2: Yes, polarizing is the word I'd use. It's um, it's very eclectic. uh uh-huh. um, I I like it. Uh. It is definitely an album that, that he's done over a long period of time, listening to the styles that are on it. Yeah. Um, it's good to have him back. He's been away for a long time. I didn't realize he was from Massachusetts. Yeah, he's a Massachusetts boy. He said it to me on the phone, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. I um, Where's he from? I think he's
1: out right, from around
2: Nick's area, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he was asking me about that, and of course, like, I'm not from here. <laughs> but... Uh, and uh, we talked a little bit about uh, did he ever play in Ireland and and all that. So yeah, but um, I like the record. I, I I'd be honest with you, I really do. It's um, but it's an acquired taste. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got an
1: interesting cover to it too.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, it stands out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, was it the new normal? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he's got like he's got Alice on it. He's got a lot of guests on it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, arch Enemy. Yeah. Aly- Alyssa. Is it? Alyssa, yeah. Yeah, she's on it. Uh, I think Kip Winger's on it. I think Ken Mary's on it. Um, Ken's making the rounds these days. Yeah. (laughs) He just, I think he did a show a couple of weeks ago with Fifth Angel. His first live show with Fifth Angel. Yeah. uh, Somewhere in Germany. Um, And then he's Flotsam. Flotsam, yep. Uh, That album's fucking killer. It is a great album, album. yeah. it's a great record. Uh, So he's doing them, yeah. Oh, these guys need to need to uh for food on the table
1: <laughs> that's it that's right they have to that's right but the great guests continue to come on to focus on metal and uh and this week again you you sat down with kane roberts and uh also threw in the uh, chat with tony harnell but as far as uh kane yeah mean yeah, it's it's good to have him back haven't haven't uh haven't heard from him for a long time and and all i can remember is uh you know having the uh the artillery uh guitar were you, back were you, in the day were you
2: a big fan of him with alice cooper in the 80s yeah but it
1: was um you know it's not like you know alice cooper's original band and kind of the being fans of what they did it was just more of uh you know alice was putting out some cool songs some of the lyrics were a little bit cheesy but putting out some good songs, good guitar playing. And, oh, wow, this guy, you know, oh, Massachusetts guy, yeah, he's pretty cool, plays pretty well. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, didn't view him the same way I was viewing, like, George Lynch. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy just had a good gig. Um, probably wasn't, uh, I don't think it was even as prestigious a gig as probably, like, the guys that play in Alice's band today either.
2: He didn't play on Poison, did he? the trash record. I think he he was Raise Your Fist and, and Constrictor or the one before it. So he didn't even play on the, the big, big Alice album.
1: Yeah, but he was, you know, he in was pretty visible 80s. obviously with the look and everything too but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like somebody that when I think about it, I, you know, top 10 guitarists that I, you know, pop Kane Roberts in there or something. Yeah,
2: yeah. He's a local boy. He should be in your top 10. i got to support the local kids. Ah. Eh, well, <laughs> Maybe Nuno's a bit higher, of them. <laughs> you know.
1: But yeah, so I think we should uh, we'll uh, we'll roll Kane Roberts, mm-hmm. all Go right. Ahead. And after Kane Roberts, we have a great chat with Tony Harnell. So uh, a lot of great stuff for you. But as I said, why don't we get to rolling Kane
2: Roberts? Go ahead.
0: Hello, Is that Kane. Geez, you're from Massachusetts, huh?
2: Yeah, well, not originally, but yeah, that's where I am now.
0: Yeah, I'm from
2: uh, Boston. So oh, okay, I'm um, I'm calling you. I'm in Sudbury, Mass.
0: Ah, Sudbury, (laughs) it's so funny, I know all those places, you know It's really funny, when I, you know, my dad was an attorney So he wasn't crazy about the fact that I wanted to be a musician And I remember I sent a limo for him uh, to play at the Boston Garden And, you know, that's when he he said, "All right,
2: you can play (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Where are you from, originally?
2: I'm 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 from Waterford in Southern Ireland
0: I'm actually part, now listen, when I say part Irish, I know Irish people go, ah, you're not Irish, but I'm actually part Irish, my grandmother was uh, Irish, so she used to tell me, I've never been to Ireland, i got to get there someday, so.
2: Okay, so you never played there with Alice in, in the 80s? I,
0: I don't, I, we got, the closest we got was Scotland, we never, we never played uh, Ireland, which I was really disappointed, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go there, you know, so. You
2: yeah, know. yeah. So, so let, let's get into it, Kane. Um, yes. One of the first questions I, I've been asking guitar players: uh, How many guitars do you think you have in your house?
0: Um, I have about, I would say, five. That's that's it. I mean, I, I used to have fifteen, but um, you know, and and two of them were actually those gun guitars, believe it or not. But um, but there's a record uh, the uh, was it the Hard Rock Cafe? They um, they actually actually three of them were gun guitars. They took uh, one of them and hung it and put it up on the Hard Rock Cafe in New Orleans, and one at the Hard Rock in uh, in Israel. Believe it or not. Wow. And and, then the other one a a fan bought for a kind of a ridiculous amount of money. So. But, you know, what I've done is I've, I've kind of pared things down. You know, I'm I'm very into ESP guitars. I like Schechter guitars for some of the, uh, you know, drop tuning stuff. And, you know, I have a, a nice uh, Martin acoustic. So um, I got things pared down pretty good, you know. And it, I, I think it's, you know, I think if I start playing live and doing shows again, I get obsessed with, you know, buying guitars. You know, I'll walk into a... Uh, guitar shop in some little town and I'll see something that catches my eye and, you know, I just kind of have to buy it, that sort of a thing. But, you know, because I've been off the grid for such a long time, I just kind of pared it down to some Ibanez and some ESP and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so so you're not someone who's, who collects guitars?
0: No, I you know, I've never, never collected, never, never was interested in that. And it was really funny. I ran into a guy and, you know, believe it or not, his job is to take care of uh, really high end people's guitars like he actually manages and takes care of Keith Richards' guitars hmm. he has to keep them in, in a room that's the property of uh temperature he has to you know string and loosen the strings it's like it's the amount of care that you have to take on these things uh you know, these guitars to keep them you know healthy so to speak is really kind of massive i i just I, I you know i almost didn't think that there was somebody that did that but it makes a lot of sense i mean he, he probably has over a hundred guitars you know so,
2: hmm. uh, so crazy. yeah so, so kane have you ever gotten rid of a guitar and regretted doing it
0: yeah, there was a, there was actually an Ibanez uh, guitar that I had some special artwork done on, and uh, somebody, a collector, was just kept asking me for this. It was a it was an erotic artist. His name was Bill Ward, and uh, you know I had it done, you know um, I had it done specifically for me by by you know a guy that painted guitars and everything. For it was really funny. The president of Ibanez presented the guitar to me he came to the studio when i was recording an album and you know when he opened it up and he you know he sees this girl naked girl getting spanked by another girl (laughs) (laughs) you know he didn't expect it you know and on the on the back there's a girl uh with her mouth open you know just in the right position you know where you have your guitar against you so it was (laughs) just a really crazy guitar that i made and i just i know there's nothing like out there like that and uh you know, so the guy that bought it, he, he, you know, he just, he kept wanting it and, you know, and, and I'm one of those people, you know, it's really funny, you know, it's, it's unexpected, but I, you know, I don't own any of my CDs or vinyl records. I have nothing here, no gold records, no memorabilia. I just sort of, you know, I just sort of move on from stuff. It's always been my, uh, my nature. If I move away from a place, I really don't miss anybody. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of explains a little bit.
2: So, so let, let's get into the record, Kane. Um, I've lived with it now for a couple of weeks. Uh, it, it took three years to make. How come it took so long?
0: Well, it was a little bit of a process because, uh, you know, first of all, I wanted to make sure I was in a studio. I didn't want to record in my house because I think, you, you know, in order for me to be in the best creative environment, I, I need to be out of a comfort zone. I, I can't be able to like walk into my room and you know, I have this massive couch, you know, and lie down on it and watch TV. It, you gotta, I have to go somewhere to, to get the work done and, and just to be in the right environment and take me out of the things that I'm looking at all day. You know, I, I think that's a really important thing to just get new input. It'll create sort of new ideas for you as well. And then, you know, of course, as I was singing, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been, I haven't been recording. Or, or playing live. I've been practicing music, of course, saying, like, I'll never stop doing that. But um, I hadn't been doing stuff, you know, live or, or recording or whatever. So, so what happened was, uh, you know, I would get six months into the record, and I would listen to a vocal that we thought was incredible, and I was singing a lot better at that point. So I had to, you know, re-sing it and make different choices and stuff like that. And the record company... Was absolutely incredible, you know. Two years into it, uh, they said, "Just make a great record." Now, you know, I'm sure if I was an artist that they really needed my record, you know, it was like, "Oh, Jesus, our whole company depends on this guy." You know, they would have pushed me a little bit. So, I, you know, but they were really patient and really amazing. You know, Frontiers is is an absolute uh, dream to be uh, a record company to be at. You know, as a creative you know, person, but um, but yeah, it, so it was a matter of you know self discovery. And as we moved through it, I'd say, you know, a year into it, we got into a good kind of a zone, and then we just recorded, uh, you know, you can use the record that you are here right now. And we, you know, we decided to, uh, you know, pull in some other writers like Brent Smith from Shinedown and and lizzie hale and you know it, it turned out to be uh, kind of this uh, dream project for me so i was lucky to have the time to do it
2: yeah okay would it be fair to say that uh, certain styles of songs if you group them together were written in one songwriting session and then another different type or in, in, in a different session or were they just all written over time and that's just they just happened organically
0: yeah, you know, we, we actually like that's the three years right there. In other words, we were in the laboratory, kind of uh, you know creating this stuff. You know, so um, so you know it, 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 it's it's all comes the the the, 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 the sort of uh, the evolution of the record happened, between me and Alex Track, my co producer. So he and I were, we'd get songs, we'd work on them. Uh, people would send in songs, we would work on them. Uh, the song Beginning of the End with Alice and Alyssa White Glues on it, that was one of those songs I started working with this guy, Evan Magnus. And then the three of us were in the studio just kind of, you know, getting the sounds and arranging the song properly. So, you know, and, and Alice wasn't supposed to be on the song, uh, you know, initially. So so you can see that, you know, once I made that decision to have him in, in there, the, trage- the trajectory of that song changed a little bit, and we started moving into a different direction. So what you're seeing there is kind of like, you know, a big script to a movie with different scenes in it.
2: Hmm. You, you must have written way more than 10 songs then.
0: Yeah, no, I, I had a whole bunch of songs that I, would ri- I had written over the years that I was... Uh, I wasn't doing anything. So, but what I ended up doing uh, to be honest with you is I never used one of those. What I did use were parts from those different songs. So, and and you know, sometimes uh, even uh you know, we would have a new track down and I would realize that lyrics or a melody from a from a song that I had written was actually working over these new chords and it brought sort of, you know, a better and new life to, you know, the melodic structure and the message that I was trying to give. So, you know, it wasn't wasted time writing before. It was just, you know, part of the journey or the pathway, you know, getting to where we are right now.
2: Yeah. D- Kane, did you ever intend to uh, play all the instruments on the record, except maybe the drums, so that it would be a true solo album and not have any guests on it at all?
0: You know, that, that's, that's, that's actually an interesting question. Like, You know, from, from the beginning of when I was recording, even as a kid, I, I don't want to play the bass, you know, I, I don't want to play the keyboards. I want, you know, people to come in and I don't want to tell them what to play. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll help them and, and give them, you know, if I, something I don't like, or, you know, try to move them in the proper direction. But, but the point is that, that I think music is such a kind of a human experience that involves other people. And then when you're done, you know, other people listen to it. And that, that's, the feedback, you know, is so, is so intense because, you know, it, you know, for example, if, if, I write a song and I play it on my guitar and sing it, if I, the next day sit down and grab my guitar and sing the song to a person sitting in the room, it sounds completely different. And, and it's only because, you know, it's, it's, it's their energy as well that's that's in the room. So, so I sort of um, in a way, I, I really value that. So other people's influence, whether it's, you know, Kip Winger or it's the drummer from Baby Metal or, you know, Alyssa singing or Nita Playing Guitar or whatever, they, they add, you know, their own life and experience to my project. And I think, I think that just makes it a lot bigger. I mean, there are artists. I remember there was a guy, uh, Todd Rundgren, that used to record everything, you know, and his record sounded, you know, really, you know, great. So that was, that was sort of his way of doing things. You know, I, that that's not my preference.
2: Mm. So, was there any particular um, aspect of your playing or maybe your songwriting that you really wanted to highlight on this record that you hadn't really touched on before?
0: Yeah, the, the um, two 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 aspects actually that come to mind. I mean, there's probably others, but one of them is I wanted the lyrics to be more reflective of who I am as as opposed to fitting into a formula, you know, like, like uh, a lot of songs deal directly with, um, uh, you know, relationships, you know, oh, I, I love this girl and she broke my heart and all that stuff. I try to stay, to, I tried to stay away from messages like that. So what I gravitated towards, are uh, like, like a more current or modern or, you know, in many ways, just a more personal way of talking about, you know, how life is and making it more conversational. The other thing was, uh, as I approached the guitar, I thought to myself, you know, rather than saying, you know, here's my song, here's my verse, here's my chorus, and now I have to play a guitar solo and then we'll finish. I decided only to put the guitar where I really felt, you know, it added something to, to the song and it had its own kind of environment. So there's one song, at the, the guitar solo was at the end of the song, and there's, there's a, another one where I take the band out and I just completely have a, a drum band underneath me, just like this percussion. And um, I, I found that it added sort of a new dimension to my playing in in a, in a lot of ways. It it made it made it gave the uh, the the notes that I was playing, whether I was playing fast or I was playing melodic or holding a note, it gave them a new sort of purpose and function when it came uh, to sort of uh, making the song more powerful.
2: Hmm. So tell me, Kane, about the process of getting the guests on the record. Um, I'm sure a lot of them probably were your suggestion, but did the label suggest any of them?
0: No, the the, the label, uh, Serafino and Mario are are real, you know, gems in the industry. I mean, I I think what their main goal is you can you can be knocking heads with them you could be disagreeing you could be arguing whatever but if you would deliver something to them that that they think is a great record that everything is good because it's it's all they care about and what they basically said to me was make a great record that was it and so uh, they gave me total freedom and so what i did was i said look rather than making this something like you know that i'm just doing on my own I want to hear, you know, different artists. I want to hear different writers or whatever. So, so for example, you know, I'm sitting there and I sang a rough vocal on beginning of the end. And I thought, you know, to myself on this first verse, I thought how incredible would it be to have Alex's voice, his personality, his, his power, his history and everything, delivering these words. And so uh, I wanted to do more than just have Alice sing one line. I wanted to have a real duet with him. And he ended up uh, singing. Um, I, I just called him up. And, you know, believe it or not, Alice was in town and came over the night I called. Her. In other words, I didn't have to chase him around while he was touring or whatever. He just he just said, hey, I'm in town. I'll be right over, which is very unusual. And he and Cheryl just showed up and, and Alice spent, you know, hours there working on the song. He just totally killed it. And then, you know, as time went on, I had been seeing a list of white glues uh, on YouTube and just amazed at how she was just kind of, you know, taking people into this new realm of thought of how to look at women in rock and what they can do and how much power and, and, and how much commitment to their art they have. So I decided to give her a call. Um, michael alago who's the, he's the uh a and r guy the very famous guy who signed uh white zombie and Metallica he discovered them and a bunch of other bands he um he knew uh doyle i don't know if you know who doyle is doyle's with he used to be with the misfits yep and his uh girlfriend so I ended up you know getting in touch with alyssa through through uh up uh, through uh michael Alago and then when she heard the song, she said absolutely yes and so she, you know, I just thought how amazing it was that in the middle of the song with me and Alice, this heavy song, Alyssa sort of drops down and sort of detonates the whole the whole process and just blows the whole thing up. It really is it's like a, a great moment for me. Hmm. And then my final uh my final effort was to, you know, shoot a video with Alice and Alyssa and I actually got them into the same room with me and shot an actual video with the three of us. So You know, I was kind of lucky on that. So, and then, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm talking too much about this, but, uh, Nita Strauss was another one that, that I just, you know, I wanted to trade back and forth on the guitar. Hmm. And I just thought, you know, this, how incredible would it be to, to have me to do it? She's one of my favorite guitar players. And, you know, if you listen to what we did on King of the World, she just totally kills it. Yeah. She just, you know, ca- caused me to, you know, <laughs> get up on my toes and fucking play. <laughs> good. She, just, she just walked in with a sledgehammer, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
3: This is my coronation. Thank you for your degradation And all I need is the one and only Broke down is girl fade away no matter how I pray you never fade away
2: So, Kane, did, did you get any of them into the studio with you other than Alice, or did you send files to them and they just put their parts in? Yeah, I sent
0: files to, uh, to Alyssa and uh, to, uh, to Nita. And, you know, Alyssa, is, you know, she tore like, like a maniac. So, you know, she would get off for a month and, you know, she would work on it and then, you know, she would go out again and then go off and, and she'd be off for a week and she'd work on it. And, you know, uh, what she sent back was just, so incredible because I wanted her to sing with her legit voice as well. Huh. So she's just such a beautiful, powerful voice, you know, when she sings, uh, you know, like, like not growling. Um, so yeah. And it's the same thing on the drums on beginning of the end. I got baby metals drummer, uh, Aoyama Hideki. And, uh, he's like, he's like a, a complete, uh, powerful machine on the drums. And, uh, he totally killed that as well, you know? And, you know, the one thing, you know, Alice would record anything and he, he once said that um, uh, he would come out and recite the encyclopedia with me if I wanted. But but uh, Alyssa and, you know, uh, uh, the rest of them, they wanted to hear the music first. And once they heard it, they, they, they loved it. And, you know, it kind of made the whole thing, you know, like seem that much more substantive or real. Their commitment m- m- commi- commitment was real. So, mm. great.
2: Yeah. Now, you can tell me if I'm way off base here, Kane, but... Sure. The album, to me, it... it, it the structure of it sounds very much like a queen record where it's stylistically it's, it's all over the map, but it's, it's designed to, to be listened to from beginning to end that, the, you know, I can point to it and say, there's a rock song here, industrial song here. Here's a piano ballad. Here's an acoustic ballad, but it all flows really, really well. It reminds me of a queen record.
0: You know, it's, it's you know, that is actually an, an amazing cover. First of all, that's an honor. But I remember as a as a kid and putting on the Queen album, you know, like the, 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 the listening to it on the radio, the songs as they came out. And I was thinking, you know, uh, is that the same band? Or, you know, I knew I could tell by his voice, but they pushed the envelope so much and they put people's heads into different zones throughout the whole record. And that was my exact hope with this. And Clean had a great influence on me, you know, creatively, you know, just as, as, a, as a kid, because I found myself really liking things that I just never thought I would just bringing in all these different influences and, 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 you know, just, you know, you're in the middle of a song and then something completely unexpected happens. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad you noticed that. And I'm, you know, it was a big relief when you said that it had a flow to it because um, that was truly our intent to, uh, you know, and, and I think one of the ways is if there's a certain energy, if there's a certain attitude, if there's a certain mindset that you have, you can definitely push the envelope and styles and people will still see the sort of thread that runs through the whole project. So um, yeah, no, that, that, that first of all, thank you for that compliment. Queen is, is absolutely off the hook. Amazing. So
2: hmm. there's one song you haven't touched on, Kane. I just want to ask you about writing it is, uh, who we are. I think it's an incredible song.
0: Yeah. I, th- that particular song, um, you'll notice that in the middle of it, instead of a bridge or a guitar solo, I have this young artist. Her name is Kath Frenich. Hmm. Uh, and she's going, I'm sure she's going to have, uh, some, uh, a record coming out this year. And, uh, what I decided to do with that is, you know, relationships are complex. And sometimes, you know, things happen in our lives that very few people talk about. In this particular instance, these two people had an incredible week of sex or whatever it was, you know. They suddenly, they, they felt all the stuff that has to do with love. And then you start, to, then what you're talking about is, you know, where do we go from here, you know. that's Those, those are the type of thoughts that are are in our heads you know should we should we keep moving forward with this do we burn it all the all away if we stay together will that burn things down you know should we just preserve the moment and stuff like that so I tried to do something a little different message wise and also you know the environment of the song is, is a little different with the percussion and the acoustic guitar and I you know I just thought that middle section with that girl really sort of you know was a perfect sort of reflection or foil for the rest of the song as well. So thank you for noticing that. That was something we wanted to step into and do something different for a quote unquote sort of ballad kind of acoustic song with, with a sort of modern you know message to it.
2: Hmm, hmm. So, so Kane, I just got a couple of questions before, before I leave you go, I know you got a busy day ahead. Yeah, um, sure. Looking back now when, on the image that they set you up with in the eighties, the, the Rambo image. Um, yeah. Did that piss you off doing those photographs? That because you felt that it was t- you know people would look at that and wouldn't notice your guitar playing.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's so. I have this is, a, this is a true story. I started lifting weights. You now, see, one of the things with with me and Alice that we share, one of the things we get along, are we we get completely obsessed with stuff. So, Alice is obsessed with golf. You know, we were we were in Scotland, Edinburgh. And, uh, it was four in the morning, um, drizzling out, you know, and it was 48 degrees and I, you know, I went downstairs to the lobby. I couldn't sleep. And I saw him there. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going golfing. I said, seriously, I mean, he's completely obsessed with, okay. So I got completely obsessed with with lifting weights. I, I didn't want to be a bodybuilder. I didn't want to get on stage and do that. I mean, I, I trained with some of those huge, you know, men and women, but I, I didn't want to. You know, that wasn't the world that I was in. So then this kid comes to the office, and his name's Rick Johnson, and he's got this guitar that, that looks. I opened up a, this huge anvil case, and I'm like going, Jesus, look at that! You know, I said, you know, I said I, I I can't play that. I mean, is it play? And he goes, Yeah. So you know, I picked it up, and it. it to, to this day, it's one of the best guitars I ever played. It just was, every night, I was just really happy to play. It. And he goes, and it shoots flame. And I went, what? <laughs>
4: so we go
0: out to the parking lot, and you know, he goes here, click that. Now it's active. Pull the trigger, and I was, you know, he shoots this flame and everything. And actually, his first version uh, shot this little rocket up into the sky that exploded, and a little guy floated down with a parachute. And I said, dude, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, so. You know, as time went on, I said, you know what? That might be kind of a, a cool thing because the guitar looks so awesome. And, geez, I'd really like to shoot flame out of my guitar. It's, it's really cool. So I'm doing the, the tour, the, the first tour, and Cream Magazine comes out with an article on the tour and on the first album. And they said, totally underrated, you know, very complimentary, great guitar, you know, amazing solos and all this thing uh, with Alice Cooper, Kane Rambo-Roberts. And I went Rambo Roberts, where the fuck are they getting that? <laughs> I swear to God, it, it didn't even ring a bell. And I, I went back to my hotel room and I'm looking in the mirror and I go, geez, all I need is like a headband. It was like unbelievable. So uh, I said, how did I not know this? And then it just turned into like, you know, Rambo, you know, and I still hear it, the Rambo of rock. And I was talking to Rudy Sarzo. We were on a plane together and, I swear to God, we were, we were just in tears laughing about, you know, the whole Rambo thing. And I started calling him Rudy Rambo Sarzo. It didn't, didn't quite fit, but, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. It was, it was not like, okay, we're going to make you look like Stallone. I was so clueless, I didn't even know I looked like the guy. You know, it was just funny. Yeah, so.
2: yeah. So, so, final question, Kane. How did, yeah. you, how did you end up writing Take It Off with Paul Stanley for the revenge record?
0: Uh, Bob Ezrin gave me a call and he said, he said, uh, you know, we're writing, you know, do you want to come out and write with me and Paul? And I said, you know, sure. And you know, I'm a fanboy too. You know, I, I, I think Paul, you know, has one of the best rock vocals, a uh, vocal, he's one of the best rock vocalists in history. So, you know, I went there and, you know, the guy was all about the work. I went up there two or three times. Um, you know, really cool guy. We, you know, he actually called me up, you know, and said, "Hey, you want to go see a movie?" I saw Bill and Ted's uh, Adventure with, uh, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with Paul Stanley. I was going, "Hey, go to a movie with Paul Stanley?" You know, I thought it was really cool. But, <laughs> but you know, truthfully, when I when I I didn't really listen. I you know I went to the studio and and hung out with them and and Gene. You know, great guys and Bruce Kulick at the time, who, who just you know, totally killed that song, and then I really didn't pay attention. And then one day, years later, I, I was at YouTube looking at YouTube, and I put on this video that had all these strippers, and it was it was taken off. And you know, I saw Paul, you know, recently, and I said, "Dude, I I can't believe you're singing on that." You know, and he said, "He said it was a great time for singing for me." You know, like the the vocals on that. That was truly kind of an honor. But that was uh, Bob Ezrin kind of uh, pulling me into that, uh, you know, massively cool opportunity. And, you know, business-wise and personality-wise, those, those guys were all, you know, spot on, really good.
2: Yeah. So, so, Ken, what part of that song is yours?
0: Uh, just the word take. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> the, uh, no, no, but we what we did was I walked in with that guitar riff, and that was the first thing I played, and he loved it you know da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, you know that that whole thing so mm-hmm. um, and then and then you know we there there are different parts of it you know the, what they did was they um the transitional parts like some guitar you know arpeggiated guitar parts and you know moving from back and forth and then the solo section you know that's all you know band stuff but in terms of the chorus and the verse and all that stuff that was that was Paul and I you know, working really hard to get that done. And, you know, while I'm there, you know, he's got this really awesome house, and he's getting business phone calls all over the place. I mean, the guy is completely about the work. Hmm. He's from New York, so he's kind of a wise-ass, but I am too, so that's one of the reasons we got along.
2: Yeah. All right, Ken. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, the album's brilliant, by the way. I really mean that.
0: Oh, geez, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And, and- you know, I'm... I really appreciate, you know, the exposure and stuff. I mean, I don't know if I already said this to you, but, you know, I haven't haven't been doing interviews for a while. So it's very new to me, and I'm excited and honored that you guys, you know, have taken the time to to talk to me and spreading the word a little bit. And, you know, thank you for the compliment.
2: No problem. Well, have a good rest of the day. All right. All right, Ken. Take care.
1: Richie's chat with Kane Roberts, all about his brand new release, The New Normal. And up next, we have Tony Harnell. And as uh, Richie had alluded to, uh, that uh, this was one of these things where it was uh, end of the day, last interview for the day for Tony. And uh, pretty much last thing for Richie for the day as well. He was beat. Tony was beat. So uh, as he had put it, uh, probably not on his best game. But anyways, we bring it to you nonetheless in the main uh, the main drive of this interview was uh, the new release from the uh, project Starbreaker on Frontiers. It's entitled Dysphoria with uh, Tony on lead vocals, our buddy Magnus Carlson doing all the guitars and uh, keyboards, uh, Johnny Lightfoot on bass, and John Macaluso on drums. Thing came out at uh, the end of January, so that is uh, the one thing that uh, Richie really wanted to do, but also wanted to take the chance as well to dive. Back into a little bit of uh, Tony's history, especially with his uh, his time with TNT, which uh, had an album anniversary last year. But why don't we uh, why don't we get right on with it? Because we have a pretty packed show this week. So we'll kick it off with the uh, first single off of Starbreakers, just for It's called Pure Evil, and from there we'll go right into Richie's chat with Tony Harnell.
2: Hey Tony, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very good. So, where are you? Are you in New York? I'm in Nashville now. Oh, Nashville. Oh, so you're further south. <laughs> yeah, south and, and a little bit west, yeah. Yeah, so you've had a, a long day of interviews, I believe.
5: I have, indeed. <laughs> um, oh
2: man, I'm sure you're fried. <laughs> yeah,
5: a little bit, a
2: little bit. You're the last one. So I know, hmm. I know. I I'll, I want to do something a little bit differently with this one. Um I'll talk about the Starbreaker record of course, but if you don't mind spending a few minutes in the end talking about intuition. it's 30 years old next month. Okay. If okay, you
4: don't mind. Next month.
2: Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. If <laughs> you can believe that. Okay. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So how far outside your comfort zone do you think doing the Starbreaker stuff is now for you? I'm not really sure what you mean. <laughs> uh,
5: uh, can what do you what do you mean vocally or musically or?
2: Yeah, more music more musically than anything else. Um, I know you've done a few records now, but like, oh, okay, another way I, I could put it to you is. Um, is this, was the Skid Row stuff more outside your comfort zone of doing Starbreaker? Oh, yeah.
5: But, but if unless you're a singer or a musician, which I don't know if you are, you may not understand why.
2: Okay, I'm not a, mus- I'm, I'm not a musician, Tony.
5: Yeah. Um, there are a lot of details with the, with the Skid Row music that, that makes it feel uh, foreign a little foreign to me there are a few songs that I really enjoyed doing uh, that that were not a stretch but I actually enjoyed once I got you know into it uh, I enjoyed some of those things that were hard in the beginning um, not always because of the range of the notes or sometimes it was just that the keys were a little strange or um, for me or, uh, and that's not to mean they're too low or too high or just strange.
4: Uh-huh. And
5: when you when you if you're a singer that makes sense. And if you're not a singer, it doesn't always make sense because people think that if you can hit certain notes, then anything underneath that is comfortable, but that's not necessarily the case. Okay. Um, and also the the um, you know, just some of the, the wordiness and the phrasing and, and that kind of stuff is was a little um, little bit of a stretch for me. So no, I mean from a standpoint of, of and also, I didn't write the material. Yeah, and, and I, I <clears throat> had I had I written the material. I I know I would have written it in a way that would have um, been more suited to my voice, you know,
4: mm-hmm. uh,
5: or to my to my way of singing. I should say, not just my voice. Um, so no, no, Starbreaker is not uh, is really not that far out of my comfort zone musically. Um, I'm I'm not really sure exactly what your what your question is 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 means hmm. to be honest with you i've never really received that question before to be yeah honest.
2: well the first time i know you a lot for tnt and westworld and then the starbreaker stuff i think is a, a little bit heavier than that okay
5: so but, you know if you listen to it i think the singing is not that different i mean uh i think that um the phrasing that I write that I write tend to tend to use, uh, which obviously isn't the same every time, but I think my basic writing style, melodically, uh, my phrasing vocally, uh, which is part of my writing as well, I think is, could be, you know, could be dropped into, uh, you know, various situations, obviously because of the music and, and working with Magnus, I adjust myself to that. Mm-hmm. But, um, Um, I think the only thing that I probably would not necessarily, um, I mean, I don't know. I, kind of like to, I like to try anything. And even if it's just one song, try to do something crazy, like pure evil, for example, which is, I haven't really done anything on a record like that in many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I found that to be kind of fun and challenging. And, uh, I kind of, you know, wanted to, wanted to, Prove something and rise to the occasion a little bit on something like that, but um, I found most of the record to be to be quite natural. To be honest, um, you know, I don't see myself, but but then again, I don't really see myself as a as a one dimensional kind of singer or writer. So um, maybe other people do, and so maybe that's why I don't see it as being all that difficult mm. uh, or much of a stretch.
2: You know? Yeah. So Tony, how how do you think your voice has changed over the years because I can't discern any change at all but I'm, I'm sure you you probably have
5: oh no it's changed and and a couple of factors probably natural aging, and um and after I had my my thyroid surgery in 2009 there was definitely um a bit of a change there as well but again I, th- I think age is probably a bigger factor for me perhaps than uh than even the uh <clears throat> you know the thyroid surgery um but uh well I don't know it's probably a richer tone that I have now I think I and, and honestly I think I as much as I hate to say this I think I like it uh better now
4: um mm.
5: I may I may not be able to uh to, to hit some of the higher things as freely as I once could um but I but I'm uh, liking the way i sound on recordings more i think now it's richer and maybe a little more interesting than when i was younger
2: Mm, it's interesting you say that because i've interviewed michael sweet from striper who i'm sure you know and um he he said the same thing that his voice has gone down a little bit but he's he's more happy with his voice now than he was back in the day
5: yeah yeah i would say then i i i second that uh And Michael is a good friend and, you know, um, I'm not sure it it would be right. It probably isn't right to say we're similar, but I mean, a lot of people might say that, you know, obviously our genres are somewhat similar. So, um, but yeah, that tends to happen. And I actually have other singers I admire that I feel that way about. And I think Michael would be one of them, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. And there have been some, some really some, some amazing singers that I think their voices uh, grew in many ways as they got older. I think Chris Cornell's voice is a good example of... Uh, he always had a great voice, no doubt. But I think um, his voice was so rich and full in the end uh, the last 10, 15 years of his uh, career. Um, you know, it was uh, definitely... Um, just better, you know.
2: Yeah. So, so Tony, have you changed your way you you warm up your voice now over the years, as it's got as it's changed?
5: Um, I, tr- I actually try not to. In fact, when I try to stick to my normal routine, it tends to go better for me uh, than when I uh, than when I try to do, make some sort of adjustments. But you know, I have made some adjustments, but uh, they're they're you know relatively minor. Mm. i try to try to keep to the same routine, and it tends to help and and keep me in good shape
2: yeah and have you someone who <laughs> utilized uh, a vocal coach over the years at all or, or have you not done that for a while
5: yeah i i have uh and i use used the same warm ups that i've used for years from the same teacher that i've had and if I had access to him, I would probably go to him more often, but he's in New York and i'm here now mm-hmm. um haven't been to him in a few years, but uh he always got my voice in tip-top shape, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. And, and now, when you go in to record your vocals, for, just say mm-hmm. for this album, um, mm-hmm. are you very confident now when you go in or do you need someone as a soundboard to say, no, I think you should maybe try this? Or are you okay on your own doing it now?
5: Well, so far, so good. I think I'm a pretty good critic. I'm, I'm pretty hypercritical of myself and I try not to second guess. I try to trust my instincts. And, um, there really hasn't been any, uh, pushback from, from Magnus on, uh, anything that I did on this record. Um, so I feel pretty confident, uh, in my choices, uh, and, and, you know, producing myself, which is an interesting thing to do. It's definitely unusual, uh, to produce oneself and engineer and be the creative, you know, of, Pay, pay enough attention to being a singer you know mm-hmm. so doing those things simultaneously is is weird mm. no doubt about it, it um, it's a little unnatural but it's uh, but it works i've gotten pretty good at it.
2: Mm. it is that why maybe you like to work slowly so you can walk away for a while and then come back and, and listen to it with like a fresh set of ears
5: yeah, but that's not what. Uh, when you say slowly, are you referring to what? How long it took to make the record? Because that doesn't have anything to do with the ten years
2: between the albums. No, no. In, in in general, now, do you like? Do you like to work quickly in the studio, or or do you? Well, I
5: would prefer. You know, when, when I'm on a roll, I like to be on a roll. Sometimes it's hard for me to uh, to just, you know really find the zone, get into the zone and, 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 you know, with it. Um, but, uh, but I would say, uh, that that it is nice to, to lay the track down and then put it away for the night and then come back the next day and listen with fresh ears and say, Oh, okay, let me fix that. Or let me adjust this. Or, uh, I didn't notice that last night. Let me, let me do a different thing here. You know, I mean, and even toward the end after uh, after some of the guitars were more uh laid down i i would go back and add some little touches here and there so mm-hmm.
2: i've i've had a lot of musicians tell me that in a lot of ways they prefer the way you record stuff now because when you're in the studio you're on a deadline you had to rush <laughs> things and now you can yeah. walk away a little bit and come back like you just said
5: yeah although there is something to be said for the uh immediate um you know Thing that happens when you have a producer and you're, you're recording the old fashioned traditional way, there is something to be said for that too. Um, so you know, I don't know if there's, a, if there's benefits to both, and I think the way that we're recording now with uh, the technology, um, and having to do it for so cheap, um, having the ability to have more time with it is, is needed, you, you know? know, you need that because often you are working alone, so you need that extra time
2: hmm this album did frontiers approach you and magnus to do it or were you and magnus already talking about it and then you contacted frontiers
5: i i i don't remember to be honest with you <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure how it came about i i think it was on the, in the back of our minds you know that we would maybe do another one so i think it just was a, a natural thing that came about
2: yeah and did, did you want to try anything different on this record that was then the than the other two
5: Um, I mean, we sort of talk about it like we do with every album beforehand. We did, we did speak about it a little bit, but, um, I I don't remember what, what we said. I just know that I'm happy with the result, uh, with the Mm -hmm. final result, I think, I think, but even as we were making the record, we were talking about, maybe we should have a song like, you know, that sounds like this, or sounds like that. Um, so even, even after the initial start. Of this and we got a few songs into it we were discussing what we might do along the way with the sound and with songs and so forth so
2: hmm. so, so is Magnus sending you uh, an instrumental track of the song and you're putting the vocals on it or is it just like a riff it's or? not
5: that simple it's not that it's not quite that simple as putting the vocals on it it's it's getting an instrumental track yeah and um, but it's a pretty intricately well done instrumental track that he's put a lot of effort into in terms of the you know the layout of it. Now he always has melodies in mind. Well mostly uh I think he's always had melodies in mind. But I ask him to send me just the music first without his melodies because I like to put my own spin on <clears throat> what I hear and my own phrasing.
4: Mm-hmm. And
5: sometimes sometimes I may use all of his melody or part of his melody uh, it just depends on the song And what I think about it There have been times where I sort of Am not as inspired And he has a melody So I go ahead and say Okay, well if you believe in the song Maybe I'm not hearing it yet And then I go ahead and sing it The way he sees it And, and write my lyrics so As I always do And, uh, and then after it's done I, I step back and can say Okay, you know, I can see his vision And, and it, it, it came out really well um, but I tend, that's rare. Ten, what I tend to do is if I'm not inspired by it, I tend to either skip the track and, and ask him for more tracks or, uh, yeah.
2: Hmm. Or, or
5: you know, on those rare, case. but most of these, I just kind of went through them each day and I just put one up and, and go for it. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot that goes into it though. Uh, sometimes I edit the music a little bit. Um, but often what i'm doing is i'm i'm creating uh, a story both melodically and lyrically you know uh, as a singer i'm painting a picture i'm creating a story i have to lay something on top of this that is the, the i want the songs to sound like the music was written for the vocal not the other way around
4: mm-hmm. so
5: that's always that's always my goal is uh is weaving melodies around these chord progressions that are always really great. Uh, and coming up with things that are a little unusual maybe at times, uh, not expected as much as possible, but, but that fit beautifully and that uh, tell a story. Uh, and again, you know, melodies tell stories as much as lyrics do, so I like to try to do both if I can
4: hmm. and
5: uh, and have them match. Um, and and build as they go along and one thing leads to another really easily and really nicely. I don't like to fill it up with lots of, you know, vocals. I like space, you know. Um, I can't stand when I hear hard rock songs where it just goes vocal, 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 and there's no br- breath anywhere for the listener to take a second to, uh, mm. you know, mm-hmm. enjoy the music because uh, Magnus writes some really nice and plays really nice stuff underneath it. So it's nice. it's nice to let the music come out a little bit and let the vocal breathe you know and the phrasing and so forth it's all very important
2: yeah well i i'm a sucker for that sort of guitar sound I, like i'm a huge primal fear fan and i love that clean tone that magnus gets on the guitar it's amazing yeah yeah so so one of the things i was going to ask you and you kind of alluded to it there tony i th- he doesn't just send you the nine songs that ended up on the record with the, the Judas Priest cover. He'll send you more tracks than that, and you'll, you'll go through them saying, I like this one and I don't like that one.
5: Um, sort of. I mean, the way, the way usually it is, is, I think in his mind, he's probably hoping that everything he sends me will be the record. But, um, but inevitably, uh, I will. You know, uh, reject things. Uh, not reject, I'm sure he'll use them for something else and they'll be great. Uh-huh. Uh, they just, for whatever reason, they didn't inspire me in that moment or I didn't feel it or there was something about it I, I didn't necessarily love. Um, and uh, we ended up changing some things too. We had some, some things where I really loved the verse part, but I didn't really like the intro or some other things. And so we took a couple of things and there was just the verse part that we liked and we built a whole new song around that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what we did with uh, with Wild Butterflies, which is one of the one of my favorite songs, and it's going to be the next single that comes out. Is uh, is the verse ended up being the shining <clears throat> kind of part of the song, and we just sort of uh, did a whole new thing around uh, around that.
4: Hmm.
5: W- w- was that the hardest song to write for the record? No, I wouldn't say. Well, I'm trying to remember. It's been so hard to. Uh, It's so hard sometimes to remember details. Uh, I don't remember if it was the hardest, but it certainly might have had a little more time put into it till it fell together because the the verse that I came up with uh, melodically and lyrically, we both agreed, was really strong. And we wanted... uh, I I, I pushed and and he agreed that the rest of the song should be... I think we were struggling with that one, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And he finally... He finally said, "Well, let's 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 do, let's keep that verse and write a whole write new things around for the rest of it." So we did that, and I think uh, together we uh, were able to um, to finish it and come up with the final result, which I think is a great a great example of what our collaboration can do together, hmm. and we to push each other uh, to go places that the original version wasn't going. Hmm. You know.
2: Yeah, so have you ever done a, a live show with Magnus? I have not yet, no. Okay, has there been talk of it? Oh yeah,
5: you know, he doesn't really like to tour because he likes to stay close to his family, but uh, but certainly uh, uh, with three albums, I think uh, playing some, some short tours in certain countries, certain territories, uh, and maybe festivals would be uh, very possible to do, mm. probable maybe even.
2: Yeah, I know they've got that festival in Milan that Frontiers do. That might be one that, that's an option. Well, we were offered that one,
5: but we didn't, uh, logistically, it, it wasn't right for us to do it at that time. So, But it um, could be possible down the road.
2: Mm, for mm.
4: sure.
2: Yeah, so, Tony, do you, can we just spend a few minutes talking about intuition? Okay. Yeah. So, um, when you did Tell No Tales, did the label see that as a success?
5: I think they did in many ways, not not the success they wanted. Well, it depends what country you're talking. In Norway, it was a uh, it was about as big as an album can get. You know, it was uh, six weeks at number one. Uh, well, alternating at number one between uh, I think for over six week period, we were bouncing up and down from number one to number two um, with uh, Michael Jackson's Bad. <laughs> uh, we we were dancing back and forth between that out with that album actually. Uh, and the single 10,000 lovers was also number one for quite a long time over there. And we broke, uh, you know, all sorts of records sales wise. And we won a Grammy over there for a rock album of the year. Mm-hmm. So had we had that kind of success, you know, in the U S obviously life would be a lot different right now. But, um, but so, yeah. So from the standpoint of the, of, of that country, you couldn't really do better than that. Um, and, uh, but I think we did pretty well over in, in the States as well. Uh, but we needed to do much better. You know, we really needed a, a slam dunk home run. And we were, we were, I think everybody was hoping that Intuition would be that. And, and ironically, Intuition was that in Japan. Okay. So, but um, go ahead. I'll let you ask
2: the Yeah. So, so Tony, did, did the label push a big name producer with you guys? And did they push outside songwriters on you for the follow-up? I don't know which. What, what do you mean for the follow up? For for intuition, for the follow up to tell no tales. No. They let they let you guys choose the, your the producer, and right well, now we have we, we
5: continued with the same producer that that did the first two albums. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and continued with the, the normal way we'd been making records. Yeah, they 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 encouraged it from what I remember. I think so. I can't remember that far back, but they certainly did. They certainly didn't. Uh, they didn't. From what I can recall, I don't believe that we had any of those
2: uh, things come across our plate. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Okay, and the songwriting for that now. Do you ask. Hmm, sorry. Why do you ask? No, okay. No, so the songwriting for that record. Um, I take it you were still living in the U.S. So did did you have to go over to Norway and spend a lot of time there writing?
5: Uh... I, you know, we wrote wherever we needed to write and wherever, wherever we were together. Um, and, uh, so, uh, there were some, like for the, for example, uh, the first album I, I wrote what I needed to write really quick when I was over there recording. Mm-hmm. Tell my Tell no tales was partly written. We had spent a few months in the U S on, Because uh, *Knights of the New Thunder* was the the release in America was delayed, so uh, because we signed a new deal in America, so uh, it came out everywhere else in '84, but it came out in America in '85. So we did. uh, We lived in Long Island, New York, for uh, about two months, I think, two or three months um, over a summer uh, in a house in Long Island, and we were rehearsing and writing, and uh, we made you know a couple of music videos. Um, and we were just, you know, promoting the band. We did some short, we did some shows,
4: uh-huh.
5: and um, and we wrote quite a decent amount of, of the Tell No Tales album, probably half of it in New York, and then we finished it up over in Norway. For intuition, we got a house. Uh, we we went to Spain actually, um, and we we all kind of hung out in this complex with a bunch of condos and beautiful weather. And we wrote most of Intuition there.
2: Hmm. So, so, Tony, were you okay with having Joel Lynn Turner do background vocals with you?
5: Not only was I I, I... I wanted that. I actually requested it. And, oh. and, and because I wanted the richness of two voices blending together, that's what makes it sound so massive, is he's got uh, this kind of a different tone than I have. And so our voices together create this massive sound, you hmm. know, especially when we start layering layering tracks hmm. and so it was a, It was an honor and a pleasure to uh, to have him on board and we got you know he's he still remains a friend to this day i was a huge
2: huge fan of his still am hmm. now a lot of people say that that record ended up being more commercial than tell no tales um was that something you noticed very early on that you, you pushed yourselves or do you think the label influenced that
5: well I'm not really sure. I think, uh, I think that was just the way that it ended up. I think we were being pushed to be more commercial on Talmud Tales compared to Knights of the New Thunder. Huh. There's a big change. There's a big change right there. Now, part of that is because I started writing all of the songs with Ronnie from scratch, so my influence started to come into play pretty heavily on Talmud Tales. Uh, but I also think the pressure from the record company and also the producer uh, who was doing the record, probably uh, felt that he needed to make the album more commercial as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I did notice about this record, and Tell No Tales as well, is that they're very short. Um, uh uh-huh. And I wanted to ask you about A Nation Free and Ordinary Lover. W- were these songs that were added on to make the album longer, or am I way off the mark there?
5: I don't really remember, but I do know that we were really into the idea of intros and uh, something dramatic, and so and something that we could use to open our show mm-hmm. as well. So that was always an idea that we we liked the idea of big intros, you know, something dramatic, and uh, um, and as for your other. Other, the other song and your other question, I, I don't really recall. You know, I do know that TNT is one of those bands that does not have a lot of extra tracks laying around. So we pretty much felt that, you know, whatever was good enough for the record, uh, whatever we, you know, decided to finish, we probably wrote other ideas that are hanging around someplace, but ever, whatever we decided to finish, mm-hmm. uh, except for there's a couple of exceptions. Um, not many.
2: Okay. So, one of the things I remember reading in magazines about you guys back then was, and it, I think it was a blessing to you guys, but in a way it might have been a curse in the end. You didn't sound American; you had your own unique sound. You had you were from America as a singer, but the instrumentation didn't sound like the, a lot of the hard rock stuff that was out in, in the US in the eighties. Uh-huh.
5: Well, it worked. It worked for the Scorpions. I think uh, you know. I think for us. Um, who knows, you know, uh, could it have been, uh, it could have been anything. It could have been, it could have just been the fact that had the record company decided that, I mean, let's, anyone who's a TNT fan knows that we do a lot of ballads. We always did. We always had like at least one, if not two ballads on every album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tell tales had two ballads. Uh, intuition had two ballads. Um, so we were a ba- ballad type band. Uh, even going forward, the albums that came after that, uh, you know, uh, Transistor, Firefly, uh, you know, My Religion, mm-hmm. um, and All the Way to the Sun, we always had ballads. And I think, uh, where the first, the first thing that probably not to go back and try to change history, but I think the moment, the one decision that I think would have changed all of our lives is, uh, while Tell No Tales was a hot record in the U.S., I think, um, there was a short window when we had momentum. And I think making a video for Northern Lights, for example, yeah. probably would have, probably would have been the home run that we needed to push the record up, up into gold status.
2: Hmm.
4: Um,
5: because we were, we were about halfway there with sales. And, uh, <clears throat> I think had they not said, go back and make another album before that album had been done <clears throat> and doing what it was going to do, I think, uh, I think that might have been what we, you know, what changed everything. Hmm. So, so, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, we can start analyzing <laughs> like you're trying to do, but yeah. I don't think that's, um, I don't know if that's really valid because I can go back and think of records where they just happened to put out the right, you know, the right song at the right moment. And yeah. I really do think that TNT's best songs never saw the light of day hmm. other, out, outside of the hardcore fans.
2: Yeah I, I was going to ask you on intuition um tonight I'm falling and and I think the title track were released as singles did you obviously wanted something else off the record as a single then maybe end of the line perhaps yeah so so okay. do, do do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you
5: um yeah I would say uh definitely you know my Instagram page tony harnell
2: mm-hmm.
5: and um same with, uh, same with Twitter and uh, Facebook is Tony Harnell Official. Okay. And I'm, I'm probably most active on uh, Instagram these days. So please come by there and follow me there. And uh, I do all my updates instantly there in, uh, on Instagram. So there's that. And, um, yeah, you know, I'd love to see everybody there. And I want to thank everybody for their love and support all these years.
2: All right, Tony. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. um, Thank you very much. We'll promote the album as best we can on the show. Uh, It's excellent, by the way. It really is good. I love it.
5: Thank you very much, Richie. Appreciate
2: it. All right, Tony. Have a a good rest of the night. You too, too.
4: Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.
1: Rounding out the Tony Harnell chat there with the track Starbreaker off of uh, Starbreaker's release, Dysphoria. So, uh, damn, there we go. Kind of a long episode for us this week. I know we've been trying to keep it in and around an hour or so. Ran uh, quite a bit longer this week, and I kind of apologize for that. But we've got so much audio. We're trying to get a lot of this stuff out for the artist in a timely fashion so we can get the promotion synced at least somewhat close to when the albums come out. So that's why the decision this week to... Managed to get uh, both Kane Roberts and Tony Harnell all in in one episode. And, uh, yeah, actually, Richie and I cut quite a bit more audio for this show, but in order to really make this thing not be two hours long, and I kid you not, that's about what it would have been, kind of cut it all down, edited it, and managed to get us in here at under an hour and a half. So, again, thanks for bearing with us this week as we have a a long interview, but lots of good stuff, lots of good music, and... uh, goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. Go out and pick yourself up your own copy of Kane Roberts' The New Normal as well as Starbreaker's Dysphoria. But as far as this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week, and until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! everything else
3: is insignificant